Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John, chapter 11, verses 32 to 44. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. For the gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts transform us into the likeness of Christ by the power of the Spirit. Amen. This rich and meaning-laden passage from John's Gospel is the reading set for All Saints Day this year. And it serves us well as we explore the theme from death to life, which Stuart introduced last week when he unpacked the distinctiveness of Christian hope. That in Christ, we have the assurance of resurrection to eternal life while we're still in this life and when we die. This death and resurrection pattern is foundational to Christian life. In John chapter 11, just before today's reading, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Martha said to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. So today we continue in this exploration of what it is to come from death to life, what it means for those who have died and what it means for those of us who are still living 
especially when we are grieving the loss of those we love. The biography of Jesus that we know as the Gospel of John makes three things clear. Well, John's Gospel makes lots of things, lots of things clear. Here are three, putting them very simply. The Word was with God and was God from the beginning. That is, Jesus, the Christ, is one with God. Secondly, the Word became flesh and lived among us. That is, Jesus, the Christ, became and lived as a human person, fully present as a human participant in the world. And we call this incarnation. Thirdly, Jesus Christ came to bring light and life in all its fullness to all people. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. These themes are beautifully encapsulated in the story about Jesus calling Lazarus back to life, don't you think? This is the sixth of seven stories in John that reveal Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. The first story is about a wedding that Jesus attended along with his mother and his disciples. The unimaginable happens and the wine runs out. At the request of his mother, Jesus changes generous amounts of water into excellent wine. Today, we hear the story of a funeral, the funeral of a friend of Jesus. At the request of the man's sisters, Jesus comes to the village, but not before the man dies. Jesus is bereft. Jesus then calls the man back to life. At both the wedding and the funeral, we meet Jesus fully immersed in family life, in village life, in a friendship group. In these stories, Jesus' words and actions form an indivisible whole. This is real life drama. The characters, including Jesus, are not just turning up to read their lines or assume a pretend role a make-believe role. Real life involves movement and engagement and emotion and participation, being fully attentive to ourselves and to others. Sometimes we need to remember to be fully present to our own lives, to discover the wholeness that God intended by living and loving with all our mind, all our heart, all our soul all our strength. Living by faith is not simply reciting well-practiced words. A faithful life tells the story of how God is present in life's celebrations, in life's darkest time, and in every moment and space in between. And when we do this, we make God possible for others. When we open the windows of our lives, others can glimpse the hope that we have, our reassurance of resurrection to eternal life. So Jesus finds himself at the funeral of Lazarus. We know he's a close friend because Mary and Martha had sent a message to Jesus to let him know that their brother was ill. In John 11, verses five and six, 
we read that although Jesus loved them, this family, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You may remember this family's home from a different story, one in Luke's Gospel. Remember the story where Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, just as a disciple would, while Martha was busy in the kitchen. Well, Jesus arrives in their village of Bethany. Lazarus has died. In fact, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Some Jews had come to console Mary and Martha. And Martha comes out to meet Jesus and she says, and I'm going to read from the paraphrase, read, wonder, listen. Where were you, Martha demanded. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Your brother will live again, replied Jesus. Yes, I know, said Martha. We'll all live again at the last day, whenever that is. But I want Lazarus with me now. Martha, said Jesus, I am life, true life, here and now. Everyone who loves me and is part of me shares in that life. You, Mary, Lazarus, do you believe me? Martha wiped away her tears. Yes, she said, I believe. Then as they are returning to the home, Mary comes out. She kneels at Jesus' feet. Then it's her turn to say, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Who of you has challenge God by saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother, sister, daughter, son, baby, husband, wife, partner, friend, colleague, mother, father, would not have died. God, where are you? God, what have I done to deserve this? God, I thought you loved me. I thought if I prayed, you would bring healing. God, this doesn't feel like life. It only feels like death. John's gospel was a great source of comfort for me as we cared for our youngest son during his very difficult battle with cancer. I remember reading John sitting beside his bed in hospital when he was at home. He was a healthy, strong 15-year-old who became unwell and died a few months after his 16th birthday. While there was certainly great comfort in knowing Andy was safe in God's care, his death left our family reeling. And this is one of the paradoxes of living with Christian faith. And I know that many of you have experienced it as well. We have the assurance of the resurrection to eternal life. We also have the experience of painful loss when a loved one dies. It's like there are three axioms that encapsulate what it means to live the Christian life. They're all true and yet they're paradoxical. An axiom being something that can't be reduced any further. 
These three axioms perhaps could be expressed this way. God is good. God is not constrained by any forces external to God's being. And crap happens. Many of you have also been left reeling after the kind of death that brings other deaths with it. Families fracture or they become enmeshed. Family life as you know it is gone. Might be the death of restful sleep or of hopes and dreams or many other things. Having prayed for Andy's recovery, one deafening question sounded out above all others. God of life, where are you in this hideous and devastating death? Well, John's gospel provided an even louder and wonderfully reassuring reply. I am here with you and I too am weeping. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus weeps, although he knows the end of Lazarus' story. Jesus weeps, sobbing out his pain and sadness. Jesus weeps, his whole being aching, his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus weeps, knowing the end of his own story. Jesus weeps. He's not present as the one who knows it all, or the strong one who must remain emotionally disconnected. He's not present as the aloof one who says, well, in the overall scheme of things, this doesn't really matter. Just get on with life. Jesus is not present as the spiritually superior one who says, don't cry. You know he or she is in a better place. Don't cry. They're only sleeping. Jesus wept and we too can weep and cry and sob and heal. From death to life is not only about the person who has died. From death to life is also about all of us who are left behind in this journey of grief. Jesus doesn't hurry the story along. He gives space and time for tears, for mourning and grief and consolation. We need to make space for others to weep, to offer people the precious gift of being able to cry when they need to without either ignoring them or smothering them. During pastoral conversations, people will often say that they are sorry for crying. Tears are a gift for sad times, I say. 
Some people find their tears hard to stop and others find them hard to begin. When we become comfortable with our own tears, we can be comfortable with the tears of others. In her inspiring book, Any Ordinary Day, journalist Lee Sales sets about looking for answers about how vulnerable each of us is to life-changing events. She talks intimately with people who faced what she describes as the unimaginable. Expecting broken lives, instead she finds strength and hope and even humour. She talks about research, about the, uh, in the way that the human brain processes fear and grief, and she poses questions, the kind of questions that we often dodge around because of our own awkwardness. It's amazing to see the role that the message, the Christian message of hope and resurrection plays in many of these stories and about the pathway to healing that comes through tears and with connection with meaning beyond ourselves. I'm going to read a prayer. It's a prayer called A Time for Tears. It comes from a book called Lifting Women's Voices and is written by a woman called Joan Brassard. Their time must be found, their time must be allowed. Their time must come, no longer dry. You must let them approach, let them in. Let them in, let them roam, let them have their way. They will come slowly, sweeping over you like a gentle mist, gently covering every hurt, every burden, every little matter that before was dry. Let them come, let them come. They will come like an angel, softly touching all those places never before trespassed. They will come with a purpose and intended meaning, like the father on his way to help and comfort his child. Let them come in full, running over, they will come like a torrent of healing water, reaching your soul's driest places. The gift of tears is powerful, healing among God's finest gifts. This gift has the ability to make all things hurtful, fall to a place of clarity and proportion. As you welcome this gift, life is renewed the sting of heartache is soothed, like sal for the soul, healing and refreshing. Let them come, let them come. The gift of holy tears brings the potential for new beginnings. Begin anew, often. Let tears be your companion. Allow your tears their time. Allow them entrance to the secret places never before explored. Allow them to do their intended work with no fear. Let them come. Let them come.
Jesus calls Lazarus back to life as a demonstration that he is the resurrection and the life. This is pivotal in John's narrative as the gospel now heads towards Jesus' crucifixion and his own resurrection. The resurrection on which our hope of resurrection is founded. Soon in John chapter 12, Jesus returns to the home in Bethany. Picture this, Martha is serving, Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. Mary takes a pound of expensive perfume and anoints Jesus' feet. She's preparing him for burial. Again, from Read, Wonder, Listen. You see, the story of Lazarus returning to life reached Jerusalem. The leaders of the temple were very upset, arguing amongst themselves. Did this really happen? How could it? Who is this man? Who do the people think he is? What if they decide that he is the Messiah? What if he stirs them up to fight against Rome? Then we'll all be in big trouble. Caiaphas, the high priest, looked out across the temple courtyard to the place where the altar stood, where the priests offered sacrifices to God. Sometimes one thing has to die for the sake of everyone, he murmured. A bull, a lamb, a dove. Maybe this one man needs to die so the Romans don't punish all of us. From then on, the leaders of the temple plotted to kill Jesus. By giving Lazarus and his family the gift of life, Jesus took a step closer to his own death. Jesus wept with the family in Bethany. He celebrated with friends and family at the wedding in Cana. As we invite Jesus Christ into our lives so that we can deeply feel and experience the sacredness of joy and pain, of blessing and loss, may we, along with the saints, find comfort in the words that Jesus spoke to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, and like Martha, believe. Amen.